Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, our guest this week is Dead Milkman frontman Rodney Anonymous. I don't know where this band stacks up for you, but they were kind of a big deal for me. I always think of them, I put them in with bands like the Violent Femmes, or the Surf Punks, or the Toy Dolls, where it was probably someone's older brother, maybe your own older brother, or a friend's, or a cousin's, that turned you on to music like this. And when you got your hands on it, it was almost like contraband. Because it wasn't stuff that you would hear out on the streets, not very often. Punk Rock Girl, Bitchin' Camaro, maybe on the radio. But otherwise, you had it was really underground. And so the cool kids seemed to like bands like the Dead Milkmen. And I don't mean cool as in popular. I mean cool that knew the kids who knew what was really going on. Because it was also underground. Anyway, I love these guys. Especially their de- debut album, Big Lizard in My Backyard. I love that album. And uh, now, I, I gotta tell you, we're listening to Punk Rock Girl. Rodney, even though he's the lead singer, did not sing this song. Joe did. And so we don't get too deep into the weeds on this song because it's not Rodney's song. Um, Normally, I don't do that. Normally, I always try to play the songs that relate to the person who's on the show. But in this case, I thought, let's establish what's really going on here. Rodney didn't sing this one, but he sang pretty much everything else. I thought it would be so fun to get to know Rodney. And this is one of those conversations where I can't smile big enough. I can't stop laughing. My mouth, my mouth won't smile any wider than it, than it can get because Rodney is hilarious. And we just get to hear stories about how a lot of these crazy songs came to be, signing to a major label, uh, the punk kind of world, what they do now, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it's a blast. If you don't know the Dead Milkmen, please check it out. They're so great. He called me from his home in South Philadelphia. So, uh, who's on your shirt? I'm trying to see. Is that the, the alarm? alarm. Yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. the alarm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good I love one. the alarm. So, yeah. Underrated band. Totally underrated. I totally agree. We used to have a guy, he passed away a little while ago, some of his stuff, but there's a guy in town named Brew Baker. And we used to sing, Come on down and meet Brew Baker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've yeah, had I, two I, of these guys on the show. Oh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm going through them now. I that's what I at first I was curious. I thought, well, this guy actually has famous people on the show. <laughs> what does he want from me? And then I thought, well, maybe he wants to yell at me. <laughs> and then I listened to, I started listening. I'm like, no, he's very nice. He's probably not going to yell at me. But I, yeah, I generally, um, I was like, whoa, whoa, I have no idea. Like it's going to be like one of these things is not like the other. No, 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 no. I've actually wanted to get you on here for a while. And um, I emailed, emailed the website or something. It was, it's been a while. I tried no. a couple of times, maybe four or five years ago. And I, I, you're I, back. And so I, I got to do of, a better job. Yeah. This is the first, I, I normally, I don't, I don't do music interviews. So you probably oh. get a no from me. Oh, maybe. Um, I, yeah. I stopped doing interviews a while back. I will, however, talk about Ozploitation films, uh, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. I will turn up on the weirdest podcast <laughs> just like, and, but I, I kind of just stopped doing, there was really nothing in it for me doing like music interviews. Uh, How come? Because, 
uh, a lot of it were just uh, well for for music publications. Um, I would I would talk about bands that I like. I would talk about like Caustic or Ego Likeness or uh, I Barden Sphere or I mean a, a ton of bands. Uh, new uh-huh. favorite new favorite band of mine from Philly is uh, um, Her Noise is Violence. And I would talk about them, and their names would never wind up in the interview. <laughs> it, would be, you know, it would be a big, a big gap there. And if, if I talked about somebody I hated, because I'm one of the few most musicians, if they say, "Well, what do you think about so and so?" and they like, "Well, I'm not really into them, or they're not really my style of music." I'll go, "I hate that person. I want to go <laughs> to their house and just <laughs> hit them repeatedly with a." Well, I, I, I grew up reading Cream Magazine. In Cream yeah. Magazine, they were very, you know, there were whole articles about wanting to go find James Taylor and kill him, and they were like <laughs> in the middle, the middle of these reviews, and it really tainted my view uh-huh. of how of how you should you should reply to things. And um, there was a, I, I work with a young man who was just recently getting into punk. He's in his twenties, uh-huh. and he'd seen an interview with Captain Sensible, and he had questions for me. Oh he was, really? Yeah, it's like, does this guy know what he's saying? He's talking about how much he hated Phil Collins and wanted to do like bodily harm. And it's like, why did Levy have to die? Why couldn't he go down? And he's like, because he'd never seen anybody talk like that in an uh-huh. interview. And, and I'm like, yeah, that that's the captain. <laughs> well, I think anyone who's listened to the Dead Milkman at all know that you guys skewer everything. Any, you know, any any religious, any sacred cow is what I'm trying to think of. Anything like that is, you know, fodder for the dead milkman. I, I just don't know. I think what happens is because they can write a headline that says, like, milkmen deliver. And oh. plus, we're getting older, so we're kind of avuncular, you know. It's like, uh-huh. oh, you know, we don't, you don't seem to have the fangs that we used to. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's my old uncle screaming about, you know, this and that and how much, he, <laughs> in my case, how much he, the other guys are pretty agreeable. You know, you yeah. Can, yeah, you can you can interview the other guys. And they, they would show up at a supermarket opening. <laughs> no, I'm trying. I'm trying to go out with like a little bit of dignity. I so get I'm it. Like, yeah, I'm like I'm not. I'm not doing this. I'm not, I get it. Well, let know. me ask you relating to this. You sent me a song, "Perfect Nails for Satan." I love that song. Are you affiliated with this song? No, somehow? no, I just okay. sent it. I had it stuck in my head and I just sent it. Like anybody would email me. I'm like, <laughs> no, you've got to. I think the guys at I Die, there's a site called I Die, You Die. And they have uh-huh. a podcast called, uh, we have a technical that I listen to every Thursday. Okay. And 
they had they had it in their head, and I've kind of forgotten they mentioned it. And then they were mentioning it again. I'm like, God, I love that song. And we were having we have a, a weekly uh, YouTube show that we do. Oh, okay. And the question was about record companies, and and uh -huh. there's a, um I think it's Tripolium or Tripolium I, uh, Corporation is the name of the record company that does that, and they put out this really weird stuff. They put out a song called "Hold Me, You Bastard." <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to bat for this this cool okay. company that yeah, I loved it too. But I didn't. I that's why I wanted to wait. I was. I, I, is he? Is this a new project of his that I didn't no, know? No, about? no, just, okay. just something I just sent to people. Yeah, I, I love it. Never, never do that anymore. They never no, say oh, here's something that you yeah. know. And I was just like, yeah, let's let's get somebody yeah. else's thoughts on it. But yeah, right. I, I, I love it. It was, it's been in my head for a long time. It'll get, I'll get that where I'll get like an earworm in there for a long uh -huh. time. And then I'm like, I've got to share this with others. I'm glad you did. I'm glad. Uh -huh. So first and foremost, what is, what's the state of the, well, let me, ask, okay. One other thing. What is your job? When we were setting this up, you were saying, I got a really intense job. It's oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can't talk a whole lot about it, but I work for a financial firm. I work, uh, oh. um, I work in their IT department okay. and I'm pretty much, <laughs> they was sort of I have someone overseeing me, but I'm pretty much my own department there. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So it's a lot of work, but it's something I've been doing. It's a field I've been in I've been in for like 30 years or something. Mm -hmm. So it's something I've gotten good at and it's something I really I, I enjoy the philosophy of it. So uh -huh. that's and, and it is pretty intense. I worked, I was in the studio all last the weekend before last, uh like 10 hours a day. I think we we're in the studio. And then really yeah, and then I um I worked all weekend and this was a, um, so yeah, this was a, um, a long weekend. So out of respect for Martin Luther King, didn't do a lot yeah. of Martin Luther King. They went in and did some stuff, but just, uh, um, you know, cause we had that off, but yeah, yeah. So I've not had, I can't remember the last time I had a day off <laughs> and I've got all these projects. Um, I'm, I'm constantly busy, which is what uh -huh. I like to be. If I don't get busy, I, I, I get depression issues. Sure. So stay busy so um yeah i've got like uh i have a, a radio show i do once a month i'm not plugging it i'm just mentioning it i don't plug, plug away it. whatever <laughs> and uh, um i've got a friend of mine uh and i are supposed to be working actually several friends of mine and i so all supposed to be working on some music together so Fine. i've got like all this stuff and then i've got uh, a weird solo thing that just started as a joke in philadelphia and uh, um and and requires constant constant attention since it, wow. it uh, yeah so yeah i'm i'm just you're I'm, busy well so, yeah i'm yeah, sorry no let me tell you this so i i have a regular job too i work for a software company oh yeah and i'm in sales and everything oh. you're saying i'm wondering if you would be the one of those guys that i would bring on one of my technical calls to like you know speak geek with the customer or do a demo or something now, like I'm, I'm basically an it cop and that's, oh, okay. <laughs> that's about the best way i can put it okay yeah. IT, okay. IT police. Got it. Okay. I was Which curious. Weird I just spent, I just watched 94 episodes of Dragnet while I was working. I work from home. I was watching, I started with my friend Rob, who's in a band <laughs> called Live Not on Evil for Christmas. Him and his girlfriend always watch uh, the Dragnet Blue Boy episode where the guy's on LSD. Oh, watch it. Oh, it's genius. Okay. Okay. And there's a guy on LSD. They try to say like, "All right, we need you to sit in the chair," and he goes, "I am the chair, man. I am the chair." <laughs> <laughs> and he has one one side of his face is painted blue and the other is yellow. And they walk around with a mugshot, and they're like, "Have you seen this man?" And people are looking at, mm, "I don't know." Like, how? So um, I started just going through and just watching episode while I was working. I would just have them running episode. Really? The drug episodes are the best. After a while, you begin to realize that they start hinting that Bill Gannon 
is tripping uh-huh. balls in every drug episode. <laughs> there's one where these cops, there's a guy up on a roof with a um, TV with an aerial, which we uh-huh. don't anymore. But he's smacking the roof, screaming about snakes. So they get him down. The fire department gets him down. And this cop holds out his hand. He's got like three pills in his hand. He goes, Yep, LSD. I wish <laughs> they cut to Bill Gannon's hand with three pills in it, and he's dumping it in his coffee. He's like saccharin <laughs> gel. So I want to make I want to make a super cut at one point. Like the next video <laughs> I do for my channel will right. be, be my observations on. Well, I got a piece of gear I want to do a video on, but I, I, uh-huh. would, like do, I would like to do observations on watching. Uh, it's from Dragon, Wild. Yeah, like Dragnet sixty eight all the way. I think they went off air in seventy one. Well, now that was all before my time, so no. I don't know if I've ever seen Dragnet. What what streaming? What service is it on? You can find them on YouTube. Just oh, look, really? Just look up Dragnet. You'll find a whole okay. bunch of those Dragnet yeah. sixty eight, and okay. they'll change your life. Yeah, you'll, okay. you you can't believe this is a world that actually existed. Okay, and I'm gonna look up the Blue Boy um, Dragnet episode. Okay. So let me ask you this: What is the state then of the dead milkman these days? Because I think. To me, you guys are in sort of a prime spot where you can probably play whenever you want and wherever you want and get a deep, draw a decent crowd, but you don't have to, it's not a grind. You don't have to like, you know, do anything you don't want to do. Yeah. I I think every week for the last 40 years, I'm like, this is it. I'm quitting. I'm done. (laughs) Every week, literally right before the show, I'm looking at some emails going, yeah, that's it. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Well, it's just uh, as as the years have gone, uh, I I try to remain very interested in very aggressive underground music and some other uh-huh. people in the bands, their influences have drifted more towards like indie rock or pop sure. rock. And and so after a while, you look at stuff, you're going, no, no. <laughs> and it's just it makes me like it makes me gravitate, gravitate towards more and more like angrier music. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just want to, you know, like call up these people, you know, like the 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 new people I like and go, just stay uh-huh. angry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to call up like Lana Del Rabies. Not Lana Del Rey. <laughs> Lana Del Rabies. The other, you know, and just go, Lana, stay angry. Stay angry. <laughs> like that. So, so what, yeah, I mean, do you not, but can't you just play whenever you want, collect a nice paycheck? Yeah, we can. We can. We can. I, I don't, believe it or not, I, I'm not a big fan of playing live. Um, hey. It's a pain in the butt for me. Why? Uh, you have the negotiations over like what's in the set, how the set goes. Now, yeah. I DJ, I, I have a radio show. I have a good idea how songs should flow. Uh-huh. But then like somebody's like friend of their third cousin, uh-huh. 10 times removed, says, why don't you put this song in? And it's like a slow, uh-huh. deep cut, you know, and uh-huh. it's uh-huh. like, oh, God, I'm glad this will be in there for the four people that might enjoy <laughs> it. But it does. It makes my job more interesting because it, it's easy to come out and sell your fast, popular songs. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to work that hard. I will stop the show and I will say, like, okay, before if I had to, you know, start the song, I'll go, before we move forward, we're entering the the zone of our show, which is like weird deep cuts and B-sides. I'm like, if you want to go, you know, go get a beer uh-huh. or something, use the bathroom and come back, you're not going to miss much. So I get to do that. I get to I get to get away with a, a lot, probably yeah. more. Uh, than a lot of other front men, which is which is fun for me. Good. And uh, um there's that. And we get to we occasionally get to play the big cemetery here, which is the, the real reason I stay in the band. If I leave really? the band, we can't play the cemetery anymore. Oh, uh-huh. What's the set? Are you still outside of Philly somewhere? I live in South Philadelphia. Yeah. You do. Okay. Yeah. I was just there in November huh. visiting some friends. I was there for a guy's weekend and I saw the Hooters 
uh, reunion show. I love the Hooters. <laughs> They've been on here a couple of times. You probably hate the Hooters, but I like. I don't the hate the Hooters. It's just it's it's. I first of all, I have a I have a lot. Rob Hyman's a good songwriter. You know, yeah, he, yeah. You know, Cindy Lauper. He wrote he tracks for her. You know. Yeah, I it's it's definitely there was a time where there was a competition. Like you know, if you were in punk rock, you knew you were never. And it's back to that way again. But you knew you were never going to get on the radio. Yeah, you yeah. knew you were never. And we, I, I can remember. I was in um, I think it was a comic book store or something, and there was one of the local big rock station DJs. Uh-huh. And I remember having a shouting match with the guy because I was asking him. To play local bands, we have the bands in like Electric Love Muffin, FOD, and the guy's yelling at me. He's like, "Those bands will never be on the radio until they learn to play the music people want to hear." I'm like, I'm thinking, yeah, that that sounds kind of like play them and see yeah. what happens. If you if you don't put it on the radio, you won't know that people don't want to hear. Right. So, that's right. So, that, so you can understand that's where like a lot of a lot of the hostility sort of okay. You say hostility, but. In, in the case of a band like that, friendly rivalry or whatever, uh-huh. and there were some bands that were just should never have been on the radio. Yeah. We, we absolutely despised, and, and yeah, we're not. Sure. Yeah, they're, I'm sure they're nice people, and they've had a good sense of humor about it. And I think they worked with Joe, but you know, uh huh. You know, yeah. And again, Joe would work with Vlad Putin. True. 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 <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. I could see you and not being a big Hooter guy. So, what is the cemetery? The thing you met? Oh no, that, that's, what is that? That's Laurel Hill Cemetery here. We we play it. We um we were up until COVID, and and then they had changed out um they had changed out uh, entertainment directors. We play it annually, and oh, it's, uh, my okay. wife and I. I'm married to the gothest woman alive. Really, the running joke is that my wife thinks I'm in the Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a band called uh, Rose Garden Funeral Party oh. that have helped me. Try to fake being in the Sisters of Mercy. Uh, she ever finds out what band I'm in, I'm done for. And so my wife and I spend a lot of time in cemeteries. And we have one here in Philadelphia, just outside of Philly, that's incredible. It's, it's this huge, uh, it's one of the old type cemeteries that were basically like a park. Beautiful. Yeah. It rolls on forever. And I, I they started having entertainment there a while back, uh, a couple of years ago. And they were having movie night. And we go to the movie nights. And I... um. Uh, I had wrote them. I said, look, you don't know who I am or who my band is, but we'd really like to do a show there. And it turned out the uh, young lady who was the entertainment director had heard of the band uh, at the time, this incredible woman named Emma. Uh, Emma, by the way, was very, very pale. Uh-huh. And she At one point, she was at the uh, doing an event there at night, and she's walking around. She had like a, a white dress, and she's very pale. And this guy turns the corner and sees her and goes, oh, my God, it's happening. It's happening. I'm really seeing a ghost. And she's like... I, I don't want to disappoint you, but I'm not. So, <laughs> they, um, and I they let me show children shouldn't play with dead things there too, which is super uh-huh. nice. So I, I I wrote them, and I and then said, yeah, sure. Where would you like to play? And I'm like, well, my wife and I are hanging. In. We we go there and walk around. We, we would go sometimes every weekend. I'm like, I'll I'll be there this weekend. Let me take a look around. I've got a couple ideas. And I went down to where the receiving vaults are. And there's a, um, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, I'm now describing things with my hands. Um, <laughs> the receiving vaults are where they would put uh, bodies when it was too cold to bury them. So it, it looks like uh, like an ancient Greek temple. It's, it's uh-huh. huge. And then it, was like an, it looks like an amphitheater going out from that, but with graves instead of Roman citizens sitting uh-huh. there. And I, I, had, I have an app on my phone. Uh, that tell basically tells me how good an area is for sound. It sends out a ping, and it puts it back, and then it says, and I, I realized, oh, my God, this is a perfect amphitheater. 
just by really? pure. Yeah, a friend of mine played it. Uh, he's in a band called the uh, Magic Hand uh, Ensemble, and he played it. And he was like, "Rodney, how's the sound?" I'm like, "I've told you before. When you play here, it is an amphitheater. We can hear everything you do." And they have like a theremin and harps and stuff. So yeah, it's it's my favorite place to play. Probably the one thing. If the other guys knew, they could keep me in the band just by saying, "Well, we won't play there." They would. I'm sure they would use that card all the time. So let me ask you this. I grew up in Salt Lake City and it I don't I can only speak for my okay. I wanted okay. to talk to you about this. Okay, oh good, good. Because growing up to and I can't speak for other places, the Dead Milkmen had an imprint in Salt Lake City. You guys were pretty big on the local alternative radio stations. Do you have a Salt Lake City story for me? Um, I think that's the place that Mojo one of the places that Mojo Nixon tore up. I remember it was in Colorado. Oh, uh, we, that's where I live now. I'm in Denver. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, well, we were in um, uh, Colorado Springs, and Mojo started tearing up seats. Or, or, you know, he started doing something, and people started tearing up seat cushions, and he started wearing them. And then um, they, they, it wound up, it was declared a riot. And it, was, <laughs> and it wound up on the nightly news. And there was a woman on the nightly news saying, those weren't musicians, those were hoodlums. And I remember right after that, we went to Salt Lake City, and I, something happened in Salt Lake City. I can't remember what it was, but I was fascinated by the fact. And I was actually talking to somebody about this. Uh, I go, I was, yeah, I went to an interview with a guy who was raised in Salt Lake City, and then his family moved him to London. And we we're like, we we're like, is that legal? Because we just imagine like a team of child psychiatrists in like white lab coats with clipboards surrounding you, and you got off the plane, and, like walking you to this decontamination chamber. Yeah, Salt Lake City is 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 very wild. It's actually people don't know. Uh, we, I had uh, I lived in a, a punk rock sort of squat house back in the day, and we had two uh, two uh, roommates. Both named Norman. We used to call him Norman the Mormon. Uh, and they had moved out uh, from Salt Lake City. And they wow. picked they picked Philadelphia because they said, D.C.'s cool. New York's cool. Philadelphia's right in between. Must be really cool. And we had used to have a story called Crass Brothers that had nothing to do with the band Crass. It was like men's suit. And one of our roommates found them sitting outside of Crass Brothers, you know, which was this you know older gentleman's suit store, thinking it might be a punk rock store. And then they were like, look. <laughs> You guys no need, yeah, come, come, and they'd only uh, ever experienced near beer. So their of first, course. their first night in Philly, they drank real beer, and and uh -huh. they they were inebriated. Yeah, uh, yeah, that'll happen. That'll happen. Did you? Pl so you played? You must have played Salt. I have never seen the Dead Milkmen live. I don't know how I missed this growing up in Salt Lake City. I don't think I have either. So don't feel bad. <laughs> Did you notice any kind of like special? A bigger crowd or any kind of like different shows in Salt Lake or anything like the that? The thing that I remember the most is, I think it was one of our first times there. There's a film called Three O'Clock High. Yes, filmed so, in Ogden, Utah. Yeah, well, there was a guy in the film who, who was a punk guy who plays the, the head of the chess club. Yes. And he was sitting there when we went in the club, dressed as he was in the movie. Apparently, somebody in Utah just saw him, I guess, and said, hey, you want to be in this movie? And we're like, no way. the guy from Three O'Clock High. And he's like, you've seen that? Like, <laughs> Yes, we have. If it's the guy I'm thinking of, so yes, he was a comedian in Salt Lake oh. City, and he, uh, <laughs> I went and saw Terrence Trent Darby in oh. concert in 1987, 88, 87, and that guy was the opening act for Terrence Trent Darby. And one time I was in a restaurant and I saw him walk by the outside. I love Three O'clock High. I grew up yeah, in that movie. It, I love it. It is 
the best line in the whole film, Apple Brown Betty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our, yeah, our, our, our friend and road manager, Dan Mapp, who is an entire episode of this show onto himself. Uh, yeah, he, he's amazing. He, he would do that regularly. Apple Brown Betty. And then he, he met Weird Al once. And his first thing he said to him was, yo, yo, ding dong, ding dong, yo. <laughs> you know? Did you know the guy that directed that movie directed Rattle and Hum? Really? Yeah, Phil Juwanu. I, I think crazy. I like Three O'Clock High better. Just, yeah, yeah, me too. Me yeah, too. Okay. Rattle and Hum's a rough ride. <laughs> it is kind of a rough ride. Okay, speaking of skewering, I got to ask you about You'll Dance to Anything. Oh, yeah. about this a lot i'm sure you do i'm yeah. sure you do do you hate all those bands did no. you hate synth pop new wave at the time what no, was the motivation no I, I, I didn't actually my starting um my one of my favorite song probably my favorite song of all time is nemesis by shriekback ah uh, good one yes. I, I did not understand that until i heard that song and i can tell you i remember exactly where it was i was in a parking lot drinking beer in la and it came on because philadelphia radio stations just had like a copy of Stairway to Heaven and that's it. You know, maybe some Journey songs. So when you went to other cities and you heard different music on the radio, you're like, oh, this is different. And so I heard that and, and I began to realize, wait a minute. And I, I, I should have thought of it because the first band to be called Punk was Suicide. They had a synth in their band. So I would, I would, and I still do it to this day. If you're looking for me after a show, I, I don't, I don't drink if I'm on tour. I don't drink the night before a show. I, I I will occasionally have a beer on stage, but it's more of a prop. So I, and then afterwards, uh, if we're out on the road, and it's the last show. I say to the audience, where's the best goth club in town? And I go there. So I was in this, this had to be, um, this is like a boy named Sue kind of thing. You know, like, like where being named Sue made him tough. I was uh -huh. in a goth club somewhere in Texas. Some I I don't even mean I mean like Abilene or something. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Where like and and I was like, well, where's the deal? And like, there's a goth club, and I'm like, and and I'm like, okay, cool, you know. And so I went there, and there was a guy, a, a, a you know, one of these days he's going to hear one of these interviews, and he's he's going to sue for money. He was uh -huh. uh, he was just standing there. If you can find people like this, I'm very good at listening, but not looking not looking like I'm listening. It's a it's a, uh -huh. it's a thing I've learned over the years, and. He was saying everything in the song. I mean, literally from "Oh baby, look at you, don't you look like Susie?" So just he was smoking and just being so snarky. Really? <laughs> and then yeah, like somebody walked up and 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 I forget uh, whoever walked up had a great look. I mean, okay. it was 
this this is uh sort of like new romantic slash because we're talking like the early 90s new romantic slash goth book that was just it, it was very stephen strange it looked oh i was sta- i used to stand out because i just had some some punk clothes right and, uh, and the person said something i'm thinking what a great look what a, i bet their friends walked <laughs> off and the guy goes turns smokes and turns to somebody else the next person next to goes Oh, another boring bisexual. <laughs> and he really he kept doing it. It was like like and the thing is, if you ever listen the beginning of Bishop Camaro is a conversation uh-huh. taken entirely from two people I was stuck in line at, uh, behind in line at in a convenience store. Hey Jack, what's happening? I don't know. Well, uh rumor around town says you might be thinking about going down to the shore. Uh yeah, I think I'm gonna go down to the shore. What are you going to do down there? Uh, I don't know. Play some video games, buy some Def Leppard t-shirts. Don't forget your Motley Crue t-shirt. You know, all proceeds go to get their lead singer out of jail. Uh-huh. Can't wait to go down. Hey, uh, we going to check out the sandbar while you're down there? Uh, what's the sandbar? That's uh, a place that lets 16-year-old kids drink. Oh, cool. Yeah, hey, guess who's going to be there? Uh... Who? My favorite cover band, Crystal Shit. Wow. Yeah, they do a tour show. He's really impressed. In fact, it goes a little like this. Love me two times, baby. Love me twice today. Love me two times, girl. Cause I got eight. Love me two times, baby. Once for tomorrow, once cause I got AIDS. Pretty good Jim Morrison is present there. I hope those guys have a good sense of humor and don't take us into court. Uh, what's the court? Never mind that. The important thing is the people's court. It was literally the guys were bragging about being in their mid to late twenties and how they were never going to stop going down the shore. And it was just like boom, 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 boom. And I'm just like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And I'm just sitting here. And I think I, I think I had a paper bag. I wish I still had the paper bag. I think I wrote everything down. Really? Saying yeah. And I have like a childlike scrawl. I have uh-huh. a rockadocly, which is a shortening of the the bone. So if you see my thumbs, they, oh. they don't match and they're mutant. Yeah. So. It makes my handwriting, and plus, I was born left-handed, so every all the stars were aligned against me. I have like handwriting, like a handwriting of a doctor has on a prescription. Uh-huh. You're like, uh-huh. what does this say? So I was like, uh, it's this, it's this, it's this. And then the guys were just playing. Uh, we were we were holding practice uh, over at Dean's house back in the day, and the guys were like, doom, 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 doom. And I just started just repeating pretty much word for word. So that's what I did with the old dance anything. I was in the uh, the studio, and uh, and I. I didn't really never enjoyed myself when we were recording in Texas. <laughs> I'm in the studio and there's like a like a drum machine. I think it was an old 909. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, well, look what you can do with this. Boom, 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 boom. And then yeah. of course everybody else comes running in, like, oh wait, let me do this and that. And I'm like, I was having fun by myself. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's I I the weird thing is goth people, I will be out to this day at a goth night and somebody will play that. Really? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very popular uh, with with the EBM crowd, which which wow. because I think they get it. I think they understand that yeah. at the time. Also, dance music was 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 at a needed yes. to be ramped back up before you got yes. like future pop. You know, this is yes. like BNB Nation stepped out. You know, you still got some skinny puppy out there. So they're not really playing in clubs. Most of the stuff they were playing in clubs was the sort of 
more or less watered down, particularly if you're in a club in Arlington, Texas. <laughs> God, I can imagine. Yeah, I will. I will do. I'll do a DJ night somewhere every now and then, and some some of the other DJs will play that. Wild. <laughs> oh man, that yeah. is great. Okay, so I was going to ask you about this because one of the hallmarks I feel like of Dead Milkman music is your. It feels like you've written a like a screed. I'm thinking of a song. I'm thinking of a song like meaningless, upbeat, happy song, or I dream of Jesus are two of the ones that really were striking me today. There's a lot of songs that feel like you've written a script of some rant of some kind ahead of time and put it to music. How do songs like that even get created? Again, these are most of them are just to keep me from getting depressed. Um, really? I Dream of Jesus was I, I, I had encountered somebody once whose mom was a horrifying religious fanatic. I mean, wasn't wasn't that far off the I Dream of Jesus song. Uh, it was just a, a miserable human being to this poor dude and the guy was telling me about his life and i i, I just began to put it I, together i you know she believed a lot in the crazy things now she did not believe she had jesus in a bottle okay close enough to it she had she had some relics that were you know that she believed were imbued with power and this right. is the sort of thing that if they were what she believed they were they'd be like locked up in the basement of the vatican uh -huh. eight vaults and so i just thought if, if you don't if you don't mock something like that, now I was raised on Monty Python. Uh, my mom stumbled upon Monty Python. And I remember my mom calling us kids down, maybe like 10 years old or whatever, you know, my sisters and I, and say, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. And my mom later, I was, I was with her somewhere, like a grocery store or something. And she was talking about how much she enjoyed it. And this woman was giving her holy hell. She was like, I would never let my children watch that. And my mom, without missing a beat, went, well, you're the sort of person they're making fun of. That. <laughs> and the woman didn't get it. She went, bless her. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, just, just like Joe was once in a, I'm digressing a little bit here, but Joe was once this is the sort of thing that cracked Joe up. Um, Joe was once in a supermarket when he was young, and this woman was telling another woman, this you know horrible racist uh, woman was telling this woman that if she saw a black person on TV, she would get up and change the channel. Oh, come on. <laughs> and the, really? I'm not kidding. And the other woman said, well, I just, I get up and I turn the TV off. <laughs> and he just, he, he realized like how wonderfully stupid that was. Oh, I think, and, and he's not good at suppressing laughter. So I'm probably, uh -huh. probably laughed down, but yeah, you, you, I, if I, um, if I stumble upon something that I find uh, particularly hurtful or uh -huh. uh, depressing, 
pretty severe depression issues. Um, then I will, I will, uh, um, I hear you on that. yeah, I will, I will try to turn that into a song. Uh, much what I was just watching, there's a great uh, thing on one drum called A Historian Goes to the Movies. Uh, it's a guy who's an expert in ancient Rome. And he was, uh, um, and one of the films he talked about was Monty Python's Life of Brian sure. and how absolutely brilliant at skewering, mm-hmm. you know, all this other stuff that you've seen in movies and everything and how they really take the wind out of a lot of different systems. You know, they have the, the religious people who all kind of believe the same thing, but they're arguing over whether you, you walk around like you have one shoe on or you wave one shoe <laughs> or you collect shoes in a pile. And yeah, I, I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, there's somebody else out there who gets it. When you find something, when you have that connection, when you find, oh, uh-huh. somebody else there gets this, I'm not alone. That's yeah. that's very helpful. So that's kind of yeah. okay. perspective I try to write from. Interesting. So take a song like, in fact, right-wing pigeons I mean, I've, I've had Big Lizard for years, but I pulled it out again getting ready to talk to you. And, and that song especially was just grabbing me because I thought, this song is almost 40 years old and we're in the same spot, if not worse today it's, it's than not, we were. It, it's not that we're prescient or, or that I, I majored in political <laughs> science, which I did. It's just things never got any better. If you want to hear a great cover of that, by the way, there's a band called Go Fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go Fight have an album called Anthem. And okay. like, I love a man in uniform is on that. Um, oh, I love that song. He does a co- yeah, they, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a cover of that on it. It's just absolutely fantastic. But I love the cover of Right Wing Pigeons that is on there. And I don't. Wow. Hear, I'm usually not a fan of covers art. Well, Go Fight's a great band, but yeah. Okay. It, it's just that there was um, the genesis for that was I was young and I opened the paper, and sometimes my dad would open the paper. And my dad would just look up like he'd see something strange. And as a habit, I would I I don't do the paper now, everything online, but I still look up like what? I remember one time there was a break in um to like a um a doctor's office near us. And among the things they stole were like 10 boxes of those rubber fingers. Uh-huh. <laughs> so um so what happened? There was a story about a town in Georgia that passed a law that said you have to have a gun. There used to be uh, in the uh, um, early colonial times, there was a law that said you had to take a gun to church. And I always thought, take your. so it was originally going to be like, take your gun to church day. And it just went straight on from that. Um, we'd gotten um, 
been on an early tour, we'd been in uh, Detroit and somebody had yelled at our bass player's brother. So um, that was that was pretty. Actually, our bass player's uh, brother, who uh, Dave Blood's brother, Joe, used to have a big mohawk. Oh. And, and somewhere near Salt Lake City, uh, him and I went into one of those. Uh, basically, it looks like a glass booth. It's a con- oh. convenience store guest place. And there was a woman behind the counter talking to her shoes. She kept looking down going, it's okay. It's okay. There's no need to be worried. It's okay. It's okay. And we're like, let's buy stuff and get out of here quickly. It turned out as we were going out, the cops pulled up and there was another woman ducked down behind the counter. She saw us. We were going to murder her because we looked weird and just, yeah, just immediately hit the button that caused the cops. No way. Okay. I got to get macabre for a second. What, What was the story with Dave? Do you know why he committed suicide or what was going on? I think drugs may have been related. What What's the story there? No, he was never a drug person. It was depression. He, he'd gone through, and this, I don't know, because I was not being a good friend and saying, hey, what can I do for you? Uh, yeah. Or just saying, you shouldn't actually say that. Say Because I'm not, people to this day go, if you're going to, if you have suicidal thoughts, call me. Don't call me. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a professional. I will probably screw things up worse. But what I should have probably said was get help. He was in a bad spot. He'd been, um, he hadn't had to work a real job for a decade. Mm -hmm. And some people have trouble transitioning from that. He had, he couldn't play bass because his hands, and he actually learned to play in a different style. But they, and I told him, I said, Dave, there are a million things I can rig up for you that you can play bass. In other words, you can play samples. You know, there's no, no, I don't want to do that. I'm like, Dave, you know, you, you're still playing your bass parts. You would write the bass parts where you make samples, boom, boom, boom. You don't have yeah. to do this. And uh, um, wasn't interested. And uh, just, I just think that uh, um, life caught up with him, you know, like, and, and I don't mean that uh, in, in a way where, you know, he was defeated. I think that, uh, um, you know, he, he looked at too much. Him. Yeah. And, and that was the choice he made. I don't, agree with it and i do miss him sometimes i sometimes i get angry at him not not yeah. because he killed himself but just because he would do weird things he would line he would take he would take wrapping paper when we were on tour and he would line the inside shelves in um because i would room with him pretty regularly uh-huh. uh, he would line the inside shelves in dresser drawers before he put his clothes in there which is weird because he wore clothes from like thrift stores he didn't he wasn't he wasn't walking around wearing brooks brothers suits so i just go <laughs> Well, that's kind of it's because I, I see the wrapping paper. I immediately think, "Oh, I'm getting a present." He's yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because every time right. I see, wrap, I just assume. I don't care if it's if you know if it was his girlfriend's birthday coming up. I just assume I'm getting a present. So yeah, he would he would do some some pretty odd stuff. And yeah. you know, and if you're around people like that, you you argue all the time. Uh, right. But when we, when we got back, I I was really uh, when I, we got back and we were doing like a um. There's a, I don't recommend that anybody buys this. There's like a video compilation. Um, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of like there's a um, a video compilation of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds stuff where mm-hmm. they had commentary underneath. Mm-hmm. And they're just talking about how bad all the videos are. <laughs> and, and they're like, they're like so we thought it was rather unwholesome. It's like, stupid is what it is. <laughs> and so we were, but we went in to do video commentaries on this. And, and uh, a friend of ours had, had some footage and he brought it in from when we're out in the road. And I think he, I forget what music he put underneath it, but I mean, you know, we, we kind of, all right, you know, don't bring up the lights for a while. Everybody mm-hmm. had tears in their eyes and then wow. you know, he was still alive. But it was just good to be back with everybody. And with that, I thought, Oh, we can find a way to make this work. And then, uh, you know, and, and, and after Dave went, you know, after that, I thought, well, no point in, in doing mm-hmm. this. I went on a 16 year break. 
You did. And so I wanted to ask you about that too, because I always find uh, the transitions in people's careers really fascinating because there's a moment when you guys go from nothing to sustaining yourself as professional musicians for about a decade or so. And then you sign a major label contract and soul rotation comes out, which is okay, but it doesn't sound like traditional dead milkman that we've grown to love at that point. I don't know how much they paid you, but anyway, after a little bit, it winds down and you got to go back to normal. How does that feel when you went that ride? What is that like? Fine for me. It was, I don't think, I don't think anybody ever adapted to post band life better than I ever did. Um, Because first of all, uh, I got to take a break and listen to music. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't getting a chance. It was, it was becoming a job. It should never be a job. Um, You know, and, and I have friends and bless them. Uh, they actually manage to make a living off of what they do, but they work really, really super hard. And a lot of them are also artists and writers. Um, I, my friends, uh, Donna and Steven and Ego Likeness. Steven is a brilliant artist. Donna is a brilliant writer. They have other, apart from their music, they have other outlets like that. But let me tell you, when you're a musician, you put in, I think I would put in like 20 hour days. Mm-hmm. So I, I would sometimes when, you know, I was single I would have all my keyboards and everything set up in my apartment, which was, I had a super small one and, you know, refrigerators like 10 feet away and I would sleep under them. And I would sometimes get up at night I, and I do that occasionally. I'll, I'll, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll come down the hall and write something. And if my wife hears it and it's good, she'll tell me. But uh, um, I transitioned pretty well because I didn't have to, I didn't have that. You have to do it stuff hanging yeah. over my head and things have gotten pretty rough for me anyway. Cause I wasn't, the guy who wrote the hit and when you're the, when you're the guy who wrote the hit it, it's like being julius caesar on the eyes of march you know it's coming right so i uh, um so i was just like yeah i'm not i'm not really thrilled with this we were getting you know it, it, they want you to then to appear start appearing on like pop shows mm-hmm. in which i i'm not i didn't get in i got into this type of music to be in punk rock before mm-hmm. punk rock i mean i i was interested in some of frank zappa's stuff some David Bromberg, but until, you know, I heard like the Ramones, the Pistols, the Damned, I was like, I didn't think there was a place for me. I used to listen to music stuff, uh, you know, like air supply and think, who is this for? It's not for me. <laughs> yeah, no. So, and that was the thing, like that, that stuff kind of changed everything. And I thought this isn't what I signed up for. And I thought, how much different can it be working in the corporate world? And you go in the corporate world and you meet lots of nice people. And I would meet people who are considered 
sort of punk rock heroes today, and they were horrible jerks. I met I met some of the stupidest people I've ever met. Uh, were people who I'll see these articles about them, and I'll go, "So and so is so quiet because he's clearly having deep thoughts." I'm like, "No, he isn't. He's quiet because there's nothing there to trigger him to say." I mean, I remember I was like, "Yeah, I've met that person." So yeah. on, he can barely tie his shoes, and I'd be like, "You know, what a deep thinker." Perhaps, and they always talk about running these people for office. I'm like, "Oh God, oh God, no, no." Yeah, so I um. Yeah, so I was I was pretty happy. Like I was like, okay, yeah, corporate world. You don't have yeah. to just, yeah, I was like, I it is what it is. It doesn't lie about what it is. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fine. Uh and then I could still make music. And at that time I spent I I just spent those years I had a, for a while I had a band with my wife and some friends that was a um I guess you called a steampunk band. It was a really weird oh. Celtic band. Yeah. Okay. And I, I did that for a while. And it turns out my wife who was a brilliant singer and violinist also suffers from stage fright mm. and had to say, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, fine. So I told everybody I fired her so that everybody in Philadelphia would go, don't, don't mess with him. He fired his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, um, and I do, I have a nice little, little side project now. It was kind of set aside from COVID, but uh, we hope to get back together, which is, uh, um, you know, which I really enjoy doing, but the yeah. uh, for those 16 years, I played around with samplers. I listened to different music. I, and that's what I did. I just listened. I wrote, which was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. I wrote uh, like music reviews for magazines and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, for the last writing sort of thing I had was I reviewed fights for Deadspin. So if a fight broke out at a concert, they send me the footage. Review <laughs> that. That is genius. Yeah, I, the, the the most fun I ever had was I was reviewing. I reviewed a fight at a Kenny Chesney concert. And, <laughs> friend of mine who read that like he was like I, I i i can't believe you're writing these for this thing uh he was i was sitting in his office i knew it was a good one because i heard him laugh out loud I'm like all right that one landed he came like running out of his office like that was a good one i'm like thank no you way. yeah that no was way. A lot. i think i reviewed a fight at a tech nine concert unfortunately Deathspin kind of went yeah uh, they were good there bad. for a while yeah it's yeah a, I was, and i was swamped too at the time i was like you know guys i hate to ask for money uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. everybody else would have asked for money up front but i was like and then I'm like, I'm super busy. I don't know how many of these more, how, you know, yeah. where I can take off to do these. So. Wild. So, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, what did you guys get paid to go major? Do you remember? Uh, not enough. Really? Not, not enough. And then after uh, we, they would put these ridiculous things in, in, in the contracts. And um, and and they're still in contracts. You you'll find breakage clauses for uh-huh. digital media. Yeah, for MP3s. I'm like, oh boy, if that breaks, I want to hear about it. <laughs> it was, were they? Did they wine and dine you? Did they say we think you no, guys no, the have first, what it takes okay, to the go first, big? The first time, the first time that we ever went out to LA, the, the album had been held up, so it really wasn't getting played a lot of places. So we went into, I think it was Enigma Records. And which is the people who I always kind of liked because they'd given the world a blind man's penis. That was their first big hit. John what? Truby. John Truby had a song called A Blind Man's Penis. And I've never heard this. Okay, there's a thing called song poems. Uh-huh. And if you get a chance, go look up some, some song poems. I have a Christmas CD 
of Christmas song poems. Song poems are absolutely my friend. My late friend Dave Brookman was obsessed with them. So there was a um, John Truby had seen that ad for song poems. Says, your your lyrics set to music. So these are so, great. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, so what he did was he sent he sat down and he wrote a song called Stevie Wonder's Penis, and the chorus was Stevie Wonder's penis is erect because he's blind. It's erect because he's blind, and he sent it in. He sent it in, and they uh, um. And they they got it, but I guess they figured, oh, we'll get sued if we say Stevie Wonder's penis. So, like, a couple weeks later, he just figures, oh, I'm going to get an angry letter back or just not going to you – know, send them with the money or they're just going to keep the money. And uh-huh. a couple weeks later, he gets this cassette back in the mail, and it's in what he called Extreme Stereo. It's got the lyrics on one channel and the yeah. music on the other. And it's this country western singer singing, a blind man's penis is erect because he's blind. And it's got these lyrics in like, let's make love on LSD. So it's, <laughs> it was, so I I always thought, well, if they'll, you know, if they let that go through, we'll probably uh-huh. be okay. And the same thing happened, I think, with John Truby, happened with us. They didn't really want a lot to do with him, but then people started playing that song on the radio. So we got uh-huh. out there. We were going through the place, and they were – I think they had people watch us because we're from Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Uh, they thought we were going to steal stuff. And uh-huh. so, you know, so – and it's like, hi, thanks for dropping by. Bye. And then yeah. we went home, and while we were out there, uh, stations in uh, California started playing, like, Bitch and Camaro. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, the phone rings. Are you still there? Mm-hmm. And we're like, yes. Yes, we are. You know, where else do we have to go? And they, uh, and they, we could go back to Philadelphia, which we really wanted to do. Um, And um, they're like, well, you know, hey, maybe you could drop by. And then we, that's when we found out we saw the, uh, the college radio charts and it it was up there. But uh, um, yeah, but they were the bookings for the shows when we were out there were not handled well. We were booked at the Troubadour and the Cafe de Grand at the same time on the same night. So, we, we went to the Troubadour, and it was explained to us that um, that back then that they used to like to invite punk rock bands so the crowd could make fun of them and throw things at them. Uh, and we were like, yeah, you know, um, we've got to go get something out in the band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to the Cafe de Grand, and when we got there, we were there for a little bit sound checking, and a fight broke out between El Duce from the Mentors and everybody. And wow. He, he cleaned house with like a pool cue. I mean, it was, it was, and the sound guy grabs me because I got to get you out of here. Cause he usually starts punching the lead singer about now. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, you know, Joe sings too. <laughs> and, uh, and it took me outside. And, and so this, this is like already cast a pall over the show. Uh-huh. People are not coming out that night because like, you know, like word travels quickly. There'd been a big fight. So the audience consisted of a young man and a young lady, both on their first date. And that was the audience. Oh, people. And and during the show, he raised his hand and he said, um, excuse me, I, I have to go to the bathroom. And we're like, no problem. We'll wait. So we sat there and we're like, is everything going well? You seem like things are good. I think he's a good, you know, don't delay. Really? Guys, I hope this is a good date. I hope he comes back and they, I don't know whatever, I'd love to know what happened to those two. But yeah, we played for two people and it was one of the most valuable lessons I ever had in my life. Wild. Yeah. Wild. Okay. Let me ask you this. First of all, who's Bucky Fellini? What does that mean? Oh, Bucky Fellini is a term. Uh, first of all, there's a. Uh, I, I live now. I live in what's called South Fellini, uh, which is a, um, a very surreal type of um, of fil- a section of Philadelphia. Okay, uh, it's uh, Philadelphia is the most surrealist place on the planet. We have an eraser hood. Uh, we we basically inspired the movie Eraser. It's just very strange here, and so Bucky Fellini. We were traveling, and it was sort of like a like a um, a Texas Fellini. 
Now, there's a, a line that Groucho Marx uses where he um, he talks about uh, like Mendel Picasso, which would be Picasso's like, you know, cousin or something who's like uh-huh. a, a cut rate. So it's kind of like that. It's kind of like a weird, you know, if, if whenever we get to some part of Texas or something that was weird. That was like, oh yeah, here comes Bucky Fellini. You know, really? Okay. It like, yeah, it looked like a western. A lot of the place looks like westerns being directed by Fellini, and, yes. and all of South Philadelphia. I mean, Fellini has been directing this place. Interesting. Okay. All right. So my question is: After Punk Rock Girl becomes sort of a surprise hit, does your label what? Like, what was the next single? Do they? Was that planned? Was it a surprise? And then what did they want to follow it up with? What did you do? Yeah, I know, that? That's a good question. What they wanted to follow up with was me leaving the band. <laughs> really? Yeah. And uh, um, yeah. Did they, you leave? They, I don't even remember. No, 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 I didn't. No, no. I, no, I hung so. on. I hung on. Uh, Stuart is actually, I think, what redeemed me uh, okay. because I don't think they could find anybody else that makes something like that. But they had, uh, um, they had, uh, they said, they would have these weird clauses, and the clauses would say, if this album sells so many, and they would put these ridiculous numbers that a punk rock album couldn't sell. Well, that sold that many. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, now they have to give us a bunch of money to make the next one. Mm-hmm. And I think the next one might have been Soul Rotation, but when we when we get in for the next one, you know, I've, I've, we had been really deep in the strange 40 and stuff, and I have been, yes. I've been doing High Weirdness by Mail where I would just write the craziest people and just sit and wait for stuff to come in. And I would get a guy who would write me, I think every other week with the end of the world, the date for the end of the world. And when the end of the world wouldn't happen, because it was always within this timeline, it was usually like the day before I got the letter, I would get another letter where he'd correct his math. <laughs> and I know this is when it's definitely. So um, we were just, and one of these uh, weird pamphlets I got in the mail said, beyond reincarnation soul rotation and we were just sitting around the studio laughing at it and that's kind of set the pace for that that album um uh, huh. like the idea that would be like that but i think the reason we could get away with stuff like having the memphis horns and stuff uh was uh and, and i best compliment i ever got i worked out a horn part and and the memphis horns were like i like this i'm like oh thank you um i think it was the last compliment i ever got uh but the, uh, yeah probably but the uh, um i i gotta make it last i should mention sure. interview. <laughs> um, but the, uh, <laughs> that was because we had the sort of money laying around and then we i tried to run a scam uh because i was using my sampler and sampler sounded really good particularly back then people didn't know i, I still have it to this day it weighs about 100 pounds it's an EPS 16 plus, and you have to feed floppy disks into it. Um, by the way, the first person I ever saw use anything with floppy disks uh, fed into it is Vernon Reed from Living Color. Ooh, damn, yeah. Damn genius and one of the nicest people on the planet. That's uh, great. I'm interviewing Ed Stasium next week. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to talk to him about Living Color. Van was, inc- Van was incredible. I saw, I'm digressing a bit. I've got to remember to get That's back, on back here. Sure. Um, I saw Living Color open up for the Rolling Stones. This, this creates a couple of good stories. A friend of mine was doing sound for Living Color, doing some light, sounder lights or whatever. And we'd, we'd played some shows with Living Color. So um, get this call. And the call says, I had tickets for the Stone Show with Living Color. Mm-hmm. The call says, listen, Rodney, you want to be at the Chestnut Cabaret tonight around 9. Rolling Stones are going to go on. So, you know, and 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 this was come, came from the Living Color camp. So I'm like, okay. Anybody want to go down to the Chestnut Cabaret, have a warm-up show with the, you know, because sometimes they would play these little clubs. 
Well, it turns out at the last minute, they changed their mind and they didn't play. And so the audience was packed. The rumor got out. Yeah. I didn't tell yeah. anybody, but you can't keep something like that quiet. Yeah. So there was a band, I think they were called like Trickster playing. And I just remember the, you know, like the one, I'll say lead guitarist's girlfriend, you know, is uh, um she's she gets up. She's got like a camera. She's taking pictures the whole time because, again, the place is packed. It ain't packed for trickster. Right. For her, like, like standing up on something and shouting, you know, berating the audience saying, you know, we don't need the Rolling Stones. We've got trickster. Oh, and I'm like, you know, we kind of need the Rolling Stones. <laughs> So the next day I go to the, I go to the concert and this is another thing where um, I only really trust my friend Patrick for good tickets. But my friend Patrick says, listen, I can get you good tickets. He can get you good tickets. I, I, okay. I, was, I was close enough once to dead can dance that I could just reached out and touch them. But nice. um, yeah, I'm a big dead can dance fan, but I, there would have probably been charges if I had touched them. Maybe. You know, yeah. At least it might have been okay with it. Oh, someone's yeah. touching me, but threatening. No. Um, so I, um, <laughs> So I, I, we're back a bit further than we thought we were going to be, but it's like this. This is what made it great. They would have the bands on, um, on this big jumbotron type things. Now Philadelphia is not the most musically forward place, mm-hmm. and this was in a day and age still before a lot of people watched MTV. They didn't know what bands looked like. You know, I remember like having no idea what a band looked like for the longest time. So, Living Color comes out and there's this guy sitting there and he's talking about like you know they call a personality he's like talking about how they're his band man this is you know typical um what we call 700 section person from the 700 section of the eagles game uh where where it's like an open sewer uh and he's like yeah it's my band it's my band he didn't know they were black (laughs) black there was this great cognitive dissonance And it was it was a good learning moment for him. I'd like to think that that someone he's out there doing doing good work now, and he learned <laughs> he learned a way. Yeah. Um, okay, I gotta ask you. There, recently, you guys released a a uh, cover of "We Don't Need This Fascist Groove Thing." Have you heard it on the news about this fascist groove thing? Evil men with racist views Spreading all across the land Don't just sit there on your ass Unlock that mighty chain dance Brothers, sisters, shoot your best We don't need this fascist group thing Brothers, sisters We don't need no fascist group thing Brothers, sisters We don't need no fascist group thing History will repeat itself Cross this point when near the hour Calibus will do no good Hot US, I feel your power Hitler proved that funky stuff It's not for you and me, girl No, 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 no. happy land They've had the fascist group thing Brothers, sisters We don't need no I favorite. love that song why did you do that? What's that for? Uh, it was because we had an album called Welcome to the End of the World, and we wanted to raise yes. some money. And it was, it felt to us like the end of the world. And nobody, my big problem with with alternative rock is they don't want to do anything political. You know, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll sing about how, you know, when I was 10 years old, I had Transformers. Why don't I have Transformers now? And I'm just like, 
No, and it's such a great song. Now, I had wanted to update the lyrics, and mm-hmm. um, Martin Ware. Um, He's been on here too. Oh yeah, Martin Martin is, is a genius. I mean, the, yes. the whole he you know his use of the uh, um, the Fairlight with Tina Turner mm-hmm. is legendary. Tina Turner apparently walked in, said, "Where's the band?" And Martin looked at Tina Turner, and he knew she was going to get it, and he goes, "This is the band," and she's mm-hmm. like. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I, I really, if I, I'd love to sit down. I had a friend of mine like had his number or something. It was like, you want me to give him a call? And I'm like, no, I can't. I'm not good at talking to uh, to famous people. And I consider everybody famous, which means I have a lot of stuttering problems. I'm like, uh, so. He I, has a podcast now, too. You should go on his podcast. Oh, I, 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 I tell you, he is absolutely fascinating. Have you ever seen Synth Britannia? It yes, is, a couple times. I love Reproduction, probably my favorite Human League album because I grew up in a steel town and it sounds like music guys yeah, in a steel yeah. town would make. So, so we did. I'm going to uh, email him and I'm going to tell him you love it. So, I uh, did Fascist Groove thing. Well, he was the one who said you can't change the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand why at first. And then I found out because then anybody can change the lyrics and they True. can Good change point. his meaning. So, I, um, if you listen to the, um, to the stomping sound, mm-hmm. in order to get that, to create that, I had to take my Doc Martens, put a board down in my basement, a a uh, um, what do we call that? Uh, like a piece of plywood. Uh-huh. Put cat litter on it and stomp on it until really? and then hand them left. I still have the samples. I have my my one sampler over here. Uh, yeah, I still uh, I, I still hang on to those. But that's what that is. That's me stomping in my basement. No way. Yeah, that was uh, and then we when we couldn't use the one uh, because I. This is for we're going to get technical here, but some of you uh-huh. folks will like this. Uh, whenever I'm recording somewhere, I get a uh, convolution reverb, I get an impulse. So I have Dean like smack his uh, um his snare, and then I record it in stereo, and then I can make a reverb out of that. So it sounds like I'm in that studio. So mm-hmm. when we had to replace it with the original lyrics, I was able to do it at home, put that reverb on it, send that in, and it matched up, and nobody knew. Mm. People wouldn't expect me to be that clever. <laughs> no. Wow. Good for you. Okay. Um, but so had you always wanted to do, you don't do a lot of covers. And if you do, you don't do them. Like you have, I am the walrus, but it's not, I'm the walrus. It's your, we, we, we do them live. Uh, we did oh, okay. right, right as the pandemic, I don't want to say it was easing because it never eased, but at one point we did germ-free adolescent, 
Uh, we've done we've done Passion of Lovers when we got back together. We did uh, Passion of Lovers by Bauhaus, uh, wow. not because my wife couldn't be on tour or couldn't get, go out to that show. Uh, that, that again, another show in which that's when we I first bonded with Dan, who was our bass player, uh, mm. because we were coming in on the flight. And I had looking forward to the show, first Milkman show in a decade or whatever, and I had gotten the flu. Oh, well, I was really really sick, sick the whole flight out. And there were a bunch of like just a bunch of assholes, like frat boys on the flight. So we get up and the guys go, um, guys like, hey, everybody, make sure to call your wife, your wife. At which point, Dan turns around with a phone up to his ears. Would you mind shutting up? I'm calling your wife. And they're, they're like basically a little bit. I guess I can't remember. It was a shoving match. It just got unpleasant really quickly. Wow. And uh, um. So then I went, everybody else went off to, to somebody's home studio that night. I didn't want to go. And I was like, I don't feel well. I'm going to find a nice Indian food place and mm -hmm. eat as much hot food as I can mm -hmm. and boil this out of me. And I show up at this Indian food place and who's there? The guys from the plane. I'm like, no oh, way. I, am, I am going to die. Yeah. So that, that, that first flight out there, you know, and, and, uh -huh. and the thing. And we, like I said, we did Passion Lovers. We do, we usually do a cover song. Um, there, uh, we just did um, recently Human Fly uh, because for Halloween, and uh -huh. um, so that was good. And we also worked uh -huh. in a song in there called Night Creatures from the fifties. But we usually do a cover for every show. Okay. The idea was that we would do Life Is Shit, and it would stop, and then we would launch into these covers, and then we come back, and then I usually have to announce it legally. We have to finish every song, so we play the refrain from Life Is Shit, and then we <laughs> and then we move on. But yeah, I. I, I don't know how the cover thing started. It just started as this weird sort of, uh, um, okay. yeah, something to it's do. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Um, okay. We're coming up on time. And oh, sorry. I knew, no, it's, this is exactly what I was hoping and experienced talking with Rodney Anonymous would be like. I want to know what your favorite story is. I mean, you've talked about, and you've, you withheld names, and I understand that, but oh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a bad one. It could be a good one. It could be anything. During that period when the dead milkmen were, were an honest concern for a decade there or more, when you're, you're touring all the time, you're making albums, and I assume meeting heroes, what's your favorite story of that period? Trying to, to think to tell you, trying to think of one to um, tell you that I, from, from the past, I have one recently where I got to meet uh, Michael Nesmith from the Monkees. Ooh, uh, why? Yeah. Under what circumstances? Our, again, our, our road manager, Dan Mapp. He road managed for a lot of, I mean, a ton of different bands. Uh, everybody from like Pavement to Sonic Youth to, uh, and that's what Pete Ween, people just love having, he's a funny guy. He's, um, uh, the examples I use of how off the wall he is, is that we were coming in from Canada once and the guy at the toll booth thing was like, you know, the, the border guards, like, do you have anything to declare? And Dan just goes, well, I do declare you're the handsomest man I ever did see. He also, once we played a convention and there was a uh, an empty room, whoever was supposed to have it. So Dan went in there and just started doing this fake how to cosplay as a Southern gentleman thing. And it was it was absolutely great. It's like, now, when the gentleman caller comes and you're having your your mint julep on the veranda and I'm sitting there just and people thought it was a serious thing. So they're following. Uh -huh. He was uh, he was he was road managing for the monkeys. And um, and so the monkeys now, um, Mike and I had a mutual friend. A guy, uh, uh, Cowboy Keith, he probably won't mind being mentioned here. I was on a um, pilot for a TV show with him. Yeah. I played Red River Rex. And um, and so Cowboy Keith had apparently through his 
country music stuff, become friends with Mike, and he would tell Mike these weird stories about me. How many of them are true? I don't know. So, so Mike knew Dan and and knew of me. Um, so we are out there, and Dan is. We happen to be playing the Troubadour this time. Not this time. It's a couple of years ago, so it's not, it's not so heavy metal bands can make fun of us. It's just playing playing the troubadour, and uh, and to make matters worse, by the way, not worse or better, but the uh, the guy who was doing the sound was the son-in-law of Don Kirshner, who was the guy. That, like, yeah, Mike threatened to put his hand to his face, so it, everything was like looping around on this. And so, um, so what happens is we Dan says, "Hey, you want to see? Want to come to sound check?" Because the monkeys used to do this thing where they would you pay a little bit extra for a ticket. And you would go to sound check and you get to see their sound check, which was a show in itself. I mean, they were just being so darkly funny and saying, uh -huh. I think we're going over the audience's head. Like, they're like, well, sadly, he passed away two years ago. Well, maybe not sadly. Maybe it was happily. I wasn't there. <laughs> that was one of Mike's. And Mickey claimed that they don't have trains because he said last train to Clarksville wasn't a big hit because they don't have trains in Hawaii it was a big hit in Hawaii, which is the first place they played. It's uh -huh. island, so they don't have trains. I'm like, they have trains in Hawaii, <laughs> what? but the audience is buying into this. So I'm just enjoying watching them being smart asses. I'm just, I'm uh -huh. having my life. Got a bunch of friends with me. We're all, you know, everybody's laughing our butts off. The band's there. We're having a good time. So then we finish up, and Dan comes up and goes, Oh, Roddy, uh, Mike wants to talk to you. Uh -huh. And or no, once to come downstairs, I, I didn't really understand that Mike wanted to talk to me. I thought we were going to go downstairs, lean in, wave or something. I didn't. It wasn't explained to me until I got pretty much there. And then Dan, because our, our manager likes, likes to promote Joe, uh, he was he's like, Dan's like, OK, well, you've got to you've got to, you know, he just wants to talk to Rodney. I just step up and talk to him. And our manager's trying to push Joe for maybe you'd like to talk to Joe. And so I um I went up and we start talking about this friend that we have in common. I can't form words. This is, it, it's Mike eating like chicken. Yes. And Mickey is sitting, and this is, I was never a Beatles fan at all, mm -hmm. but the monkeys were kind of, I love the monkeys. I, to this day, yes. like Head would come on TV late at night when I was a kid. I watch Head. I'm a huge monkeys fan. So to yes. me, it's like watching the Liberty Bell eat chicken while mm -hmm. the Statue of Liberty is eating mashed potatoes. <laughs> and I remember Mike pushed out a chair for me to sit down in. And I couldn't move my legs. I literally yeah. could not move my legs. I probably and and I didn't really and and he passed away. I was uh, later on. You know, I, I was trying to explain to Dan. Please tell him. You know, but it was too late. I, you know, please tell him that I was just. You know, I was a deer yes. in the heaven. I couldn't. Yes. I couldn't have any. You know, and he's like, we were talking. We talked a little bit about the um the fact that uh, Mickey had one of the early uh, modular moves. This huge thing. And that um, he uh, he used it on the song Daily Nightly, and they didn't have it anymore because Mickey sold it bit by bit. Wow. And so so Mike would do the sound every night, and I was telling him how much I love that. He like Mike as Mike starts making the sounds with his mouth. So that was yeah that that was uh, um, you know anything other than that is like you know I wow. mean it's, it's just me being a jerk. Like you had Tiffany on the show, and I once <laughs> handed her a whole bunch of rubber worms. You did. <laughs> we used to travel with. We met this guy in Florida who was a tad off the wall, and he used to have uh, plastic bags filled with rubber fishing worms, bait worms, and he would take them everywhere. And he just, if he wasn't having a good time, he just scoops them out and leave them. <laughs> we got invited to this Gavin report thing. And it was this big, oh. I remember Tommy James, Lita Ford was there. And, and again, you know, to me, there, there's a thousand, I'm not, to me, every, everybody is a celebrity. So, right. you know, to me, it's kind of hard to differentiate between who is who. And I sure. think I, I was, we started trading up badges with other people from other bands. 
So um, there was a band called Fetch and Bones, and Young Lady Hope was their singer. And and she switched, I think, with me. And then Mo Bird from Pursuit of Happiness switched with her. And then I wound up with Mo's badge. And once you've got somebody else's badge, you've got a license to do whatever you want. <laughs> so um, Tiff and my friend Matt, by the way, uh, back then, and he, he used to borrow my top hat. He looked exactly like Slash. So he would just walk around being Slash. People, oh, that's Slash. Um, and so he... He basically, I think I had the rubber worms. He might have had some. And somehow Tiffany comes up or something and and is is believes that I'm Mo Berg, even though I didn't look anything like him. Uh-huh. And she I hope is like, you know, she's trying to be polite and say she's heard of me. And I went, uh-huh. oh, great to meet you. And out come the rubber worms. <laughs> I pull back, she screams. Uh, and Matt, we used to have these little uh tiny little like uh, loudspeaker things or bullhorn type things. And Matt's walking around on Tiffany's head as explained. And we were escorted. <laughs> so, but I feel bad because she, I'm sure she's a nice person, but yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you talked to me before you talked to her. <laughs> uh, did you, did you ever have any, uh, did you ever cross paths with poison? Cause I know they're, they're from the Pittsburgh side of Pennsylvania. No, I believe, never... but you break the album in the punk rock girl video. And I wonder if they ever, yeah, I, I, no, we never, I don't think we ever encountered them. Uh, there was a, the only really, I think, hair metal band we ever spent time around was a band called the Dogs de Moor, who were these insane Englishmen who would jump up in hotels and grab the chandelier and scream, I'm Earl Flynn. So, but, um, no, we never had, I mean, we never had much, uh, much hair metal interaction. Once we saw, once, uh, we, we saw, um, Axel Rose, I wasn't there, Matt was there, and I think, uh, Dan or, um, uh, or sound guy or, or road manager, uh, they saw Axel Rose walking down LA Bull, uh, Sunset Boulevard with uh-huh. some young lady hanging on his leg and he was singing Patience before it had been released. So they got like a preview of that song. But general, generally speaking, my interaction with any like super famous people, uh-huh. which is good because, you know, I consider all, all my friends, you know, like, uh, Again, like to me, like, you know, I, I, when I meet like Tom Shear from Assembly 23, that to me is, you know, that's a guy who's, who's easily as big as anybody in Poison yeah. could have ever yeah. been. So, okay. yeah. I just, that was the day of like, you know, Axl Rose would call out, was it Motley Crue? And there were all these beefs. And I can just imagine that video getting popular and the guys from Poison getting kind of self righteous. Oh, who are these dead milkmen? They all, you know, calling you onto a fight or something like that. Yeah, I don't think we ever had, but they, again, okay. a lot of times, a lot of times they would, um, they would, if we'd be in a um, go some like radio show, they would immediately segregate us, so we couldn't talk to any other uh-huh. guests. So if like Billy Idol would come in, that was another one, you know, where they were like they had to have like seven or eight doors, locked doors between us and Billy Idol for fear we might talk to him. And I'd say hi, you know, he, he's yeah. like an interesting, nice guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Rodney, uh, you guys are legends in my book. I have loved the Dead Milkmen for most of my life. All right, there you have it. Rodney Anonymous. Uh, just, he's the best. I That is so much fun. I hope you guys had fun, too. And I hope that you had enough fun that if you don't know the Dead Milkmen, you'll go give them a shot. Because they deserve to be heard. They are a riot. They're a blessing to American punk rock. They really are. And because no one else does what they do. Bitchin' Camaro is one of the strangest songs that ever gets played on the radio, and yet it does. I want to close it out with another song of theirs called The Thing That Only Eats Hippies. And uh, it's difficult because all their songs are so short. So I got to make this quick. Anyway, thank you, Rodney, for talking with me. Now, next week's guest, I'm not entirely sure. I'll be honest. I mentioned earlier that it might be also someone from sort of a similar American punk rock 
uh, scene. And it might be, I'm going out of town, I'm taking the kids to visit my mom for spring break. And so it's just a matter of what I can get ready uh, for Yen before I leave, what I'll have time to get ready while I'm there. And that may change, so I'm just going to leave it up in the air, okay? There's a twofer coming up, there's a producer coming up, and there's someone similar to Rodney coming up as well. And it could be any one of those that's coming up. Anyway, huge thanks as always to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thanks, buddy, for everything you do. Folks, you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us at the on Twitter at thehustlepod. I'm currently taking a little bit of a Twitter break, so I might be more responsive or reactive than proactive on there, which is usually the case for me. And so um, you may not hear me. Facebook or an email are probably the best ways to reach me. Okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you.